New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm having a conversation about how to be an anti-racist with African-American Ronita Johnson. She's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. And this program, I want to say, will be slightly different from our normal New Dimensions interviews because I will be participating with Ronita as together we explore the poisonous consequences of racism and how white people can better be allies to blacks. I'm speaking with Ronita Johnson at her home by remote connection. Ronita, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. You and I have been in circle for almost 20 years, so we've known each other for a while. And the first time you introduce this subject to the circle that we both participate in, the Million Circle. This was in 2016. Yeah. And you asked a predominantly white women's circle (laughs) to speak about when it was that we became aware of the disparity between whites and blacks. And although we were taken back by the question, we each stepped up to share from our hearts the personal history that we had with that. And that was the beginning. That was the opening. And I loved it that you brought it up and everybody had something to say. And even though the conversation was not comfortable, it was a safe place to have it. And that's what you are advocating these days, that you have dedicated yourself to thankfully be a facilitator as an African-American woman with us, especially white women, uh, (laughs) to, to learn about our own internal racism. You've suggested the book White Fragility is one, like, oh, white people are so fragile that they can't even talk about it, you know? And I, in many ways, we've never been either invited or challenged to talk about it. And so out of sight, out of mind, but now it's right in our face as here we are in America, a tinderbox of explosions around this issue of racism and inequality of communities and especially the oppression of communities of color. So, oh man, I'm just going on and on, but... (laughs) Well, I just want to say something about the about that white fragility. What's fascinating about, about the book White Fragility is that I don't experience white people as fragile. I do not experience white people as fragile, except when it comes to this conversation. You know, it's like, well, what is that about? So what that says to me is that the reason why it's been named fragility is because white people have never had to talk about what it means to be white. And that inquiry creates this um, uncomfortableness. It's like, what? Uh, I'm not a race. As a diversity consultant, when I worked in organizations, I, I got so much resistance 
from most of the attendees because they didn't want to be there. We weren't using words like um, anti-racist or racism. We never used words like that. It was always diversity and inclusion and creating equitable environments. But we didn't hone in on really the problem of all of this. And that's where you see yourself as superior. And, and that is at the core of this inquiry about what it means to be white, that white people do see themselves as superior. It's in their DNA. You don't almost even know it. And so if someone asks you to talk about it, it's like, what? It's almost like an insult. It's like, I'm the superior person here. I don't need to talk about uh, my superiority because, uh, you know, you're nothing, I'm everything. And also, Ronita, like, I'm not part of KKK. Right, right. I'm not, you know, lynching Black people or whatever, you know, so I'm not racist. Yeah, it's that one of the diagrams that um, Robin talks about in her book about that good, bad binary, where so often white people think of the KKK. They think about the shootings and the killings that have happened historically. But it is everyday, quote unquote, liberal white folks that keep racism alive. And that's why it's really important to do your work, to look at your socialization process, to look at what your attitudes are, what your beliefs are, what are your values, how they show up in terms of microaggressions. Talk to your family, talk to your children. Talk to your friends and your neighbors and your religious and spiritual communities. Talk to the people in your workplace and see how many people of color do you have in your environment? I used to do this exercise and I asked people to, in all these categories, to write down all the places where they had people of color. And I found that most white people don't have any people of color in their environment. So it's all about relationship. The reason why I had such a good relationship in the million circle. At that time, we had been together for 16 years. It's because I had been in the million circle for 16 years. And, of course, screaming and wailing about why we couldn't invite other women of color to the million circle. Because it never was inclusive for me because I was the only black woman. But oftentimes I am. I used to hate that. But now I know that what it did is it built that calendar. Yeah. Now, I have to say about this circle. I'm going to be vulnerable here, Ronita. I'm going to say that we were in circle for 16 years before you brought up the racist question. I was starting to use the word diversity, but that's one of those coded words that yep. make me feel more comfortable. Now, right. you were talking, you brought up racism specifically in the circle, but it took 16 years to do it. And prior to that, I would think, oh, here goes Ronita again. She's going <laughs> to rail on us. And okay, I'll wait it out and I'll, you know, not defend myself, but I'll just sort of let it be. But, you know, I didn't fully participate in it. I didn't back you up. I didn't stand, you know, shoulder to shoulder with you facing into the group. Nobody did. Nobody did. Nobody did. 
you bless your soul. <laughs> you hung in there with us, Ronita. I can't tell you what an honor and how we are blessed by your presence and what you have brought to the circle and how now we've really jumped into this conversation. And we have, we have, we have. 16 years of patience on your part. And I know you wanted to leave us. So I know you wanted to say, I'm out of here. I did many times. I did. But you know, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for us. I believe in the human decency of the heart. I really do. Maybe I'm naive or something. I don't know. But I believe in all the things that we read about oneness. You know, I believe in that concept of Mbutu that I am because you are, and that we're really all in this together. We're all connected. And I feel that everything that I have ever experienced in my life helped me to build resilience. You know, we need resilience. I need resilience. That's the only way that I can face this. That's the only way that I can have faith and hope in my heart that, now I love that song by Sam Cooke, who said a change is going to come. And I do I do believe that. I mean, he wrote that song after he was denied going into a bathroom where he was performing. He couldn't go into the bathroom and he he wrote that song afterwards. And yes, things are better, but things are in some ways worse because the new Jim Crow is alive and well. Let me just say, when you said to our group, every day that I get up and you live in a community that is a mixed community, but primarily white in a suburb of San Francisco. And you said every morning that you give up and you think about you and your husband taking a walk, you have to make that decision about whether it's safe or not. I mean, I get up and I just walk out my door and I don't think diddly squat about it. That's right. And that made me so sad. And I could hear what you were saying, that you live with this separation from the rest of culture or white culture in a way that you face daily. Daily. And, you know, my husband and I have been talking about potentially downsizing. And um, we started talking about, well, where would we go? So here's a consideration that white people never have to think about. Is it safe to move? to a particular neighborhood. Oftentimes I walk alone. I have one of those little noise clappers that I walk with. So if I ever were attacked, I would just hit the button. Now I I live in a very nice neighborhood and it's been interesting with COVID that more of my neighbors have been speaking. It's just, you know, we've been here a long time and they've been speaking. And, And what I've done is use it as an opportunity to ask them, do you feel that this is a neighborhood that welcomes people of color? And they've, and they've all been my white neighbors because I think my neighborhood is about 1% African-American. <laughs> I don't even know if it's 1%. I think there are three or four of us in this yeah. whole area, I think, but not very many. And they've all said, oh, yes, I think it's very welcoming. And then I follow that up and I say, well, how would you know? And then silence. And I've used it as an opportunity to invite them into conversation about what we are all experiencing in our nation. And I'm hoping that what that will do 
is to invite them into conversations with their families and their friends and ask the same question to them. And if the answer is they don't know because they don't know, then how do you find out? Well, then you find out by mixing your relationships, your conversations with people of different races so that you can learn and have some empathy for what other people are experiencing often on a daily basis. That reminds me of a question. If you ask that maybe of someone, there is a white response that sometimes comes up that someone would say, oh, I don't see color. I'm learning that that is an offensive comment. Very much so. Help us to understand that, Ronita. Well, if you tell me that you don't see color or if you tell me that I don't matter, I don't care if you black, blue, or green. Well, first of all, the black part, yeah, but people don't come in blue and green. <laughs> but if you tell me that your color doesn't matter, that's just not true. There have been all kinds of studies that have been asked of people and accumulated around what do we see first? And the very first thing has been a person's skin color. That's the first thing we see. Now, we may, depending on how astute we are, how much we've done our work, we can move quickly through that. But if you tell me you don't see my color, you don't see me. I am a Black woman. And if you tell me, oh, I don't see color, I just see that you and I are the same. Well, you've asked me to eliminate a major part of me because oftentimes people ask, how do you describe yourself? I describe myself as black first and then a woman. And when I ask that of white people, how do you describe yourself? They never say I'm a white person. It's always a woman and you know, all you know, married and not married, mother, daughter, whatever, and one's credentials, but never one's race. So just fundamentally, and I'm speaking about myself because some black people may choose not to say that they're Black. I I don't even say African-American. I say Black because I'm a Black woman. That's how I'm treated in this country. And that's been my experience. And so that's how I define myself. So it would be a wonderful thing if I could just say I'm an American. But that's not been my experience because American for me and American for you as a white woman in terms of the way that I've been treated in terms of the indoctrination that I have suffered, the prejudice, the discrimination, the bias, the microaggressions that I have suffered, is not the same. So I can't say I'm an American because that doesn't tell you much about really who I am. Right. And so when you see me, you're going to see the color of my skin. And then when you want to be in a conversation with me, you're going to understand who I am by my experiences, which are very different than yours. Exactly. In the little time that we have left, Ronita, I just want to remind our listeners, I've been participating with Ronita. She's been facilitating several groups. One group is primarily white with Ronita as facilitator, and the other group is more mixed, white and black women. And these conversations have been pivotal in my life. They have been so important to me. I just can't tell you how much I've learned about myself and my own internalized prejudice, my own internalized racism. 
And then therefore projecting that out, if that's me, just thinking about the whole country. So here we are. And I just want you to say something about how important these conversations are in helping us as white people to be allies to people of color. Thank you, Justine. These conversations are critical. There's four messages I have for for white people. First of all, racism is historical and it's systemic. And we need to understand what race is, the myth of race, and then how the systemic nature of racism cuts black and brown people off at the knees. That white people are part of the problem because they're complicit, they're silent, there are microaggressions, there's um, bias that's happening all the time. But white people are also uh, the solution about being an ally. And then what does it mean to be an ally? Understand what it means to become anti-racist. Have those hard conversations about who you are, your socialization process. Increase your empathy and listening and understanding of how race impacts not only black and brown people, but impacts all of us. But it's not enough just to have those conversations and talk. You got to act by going to your local government and voting get in the school systems and see where race impacts uh, people of color in a negative way. Be able to bear witness. Don't be quiet. If you see something, speak up. Like John Lewis said, get in good trouble. Uh, Support people of color-owned businesses. Uh, In terms of the banking industry, if you're dealing with banks that discriminate, Change your bank. We changed our bank. It was clear to me they were discriminating against us. We changed our bank. We went to a bank that we thought was going to treat us fairly and support financially. Give your money to the ACLU, Equal Justice Initiative, Color Change, Southern Poverty Law Center. There are lots of organizations online that you can give money to. Push for police reform and have a chipping away attitude, which for me means that we have to keep the faith, we have to keep hope, and understand that this is going to happen one chisel at a time. But it will happen if we unite, if we co-create a vision of the future, and we partner with each other, and we deal with all of the policies, the procedures, the issues that have kept racism alive and well in our society. And white people, let me say something to you. Get over being fragile. (laughs) Get over those tears. Get over that defensiveness. And being triggered. And also understand that not all black people or brown people want to be a part of this conversation. I have chosen to be a part of this conversation. But black and brown people are tired. We've been dealing with this so long and our burdens are heavy. And in that way, I have the privilege to be able to have resources in my life that I don't have to get up and go to work every day. I'm retired, but I have this diversity background. I have this dialogue background. I have this how to be in circle background. And I also have this often being the only person of color in a white environment background. So that has helped me to be tenacious 
in saying, yes, you know, I will go and I will help create opportunities for us to have conversation. But it's like anything else, Justine. You know, when you think about becoming skilled at something, when you think about being proficient, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And you talked about our, our circle. You're feeling more comfortable now because you've been doing it more yeah. than you ever had before. Right. And we have to believe that the more that we create these opportunities, the more that we're willing to lean into the conversation and not lean back from the conversation, we'll get better at the conversation, which means that we'll then get better at being anti-racist. We'll get better at tearing down the systems, the policies, the ideas, the procedures that create inequality for so many people in our country. And that would be my message to all the listeners out there, all the white listeners in particular. Be willing to be uncomfortable, but it's important to be in an environment that's safe. But safety doesn't mean that that knot in your stomach is not going to be there and that it's just going to grow and grow and grow and grow. But believe me, it will subside as you get more comfortable with this subject and you're more willing to be an ally and partner with us. Thank you so much, Ronita. What a wonderful view that you have given us advice and courage to continue and to open up to these conversations. So thank you so much. Thank you, Justine. I've been speaking and having this deep dialogue with Ronita Johnson in her home by Remote Connection. She's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion an original convener of the Circle Women Eradicating Racism and convener facilitator of Becoming Anti-Racist. I also want to mention that she is a facilitator with three other women of the three-part series, Learning to Become an Ally, Owning the Power to Eradicate Racism. If you want more information about the work of Ronita Johnson, you can go to her website, embracedbycircle.com, embrace, E-M-B-R-A-C-E-D, embracedbycircle.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.